0: Welcome to Holy Savior Sermons, bringing you the weekend sermons given at Holy Savior Church. series that we actually started in October, took a pause, the holiday seasons. If you recall, we were doing a series on the minor prophets, and there are 12 minor prophets. We did four in October, and we're going to do four here in the month of February, and we'll wrap up in October of this year. Minor prophets and major prophets, not like baseball. (laughs) Not major league and minor league, it's there are the minor prophets, it means their writings are smaller. Unlike if you've ever read through Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, there's greater volumes of their writing and, and the things that they spoke to God's people. So this morning we're going to talk about Jonah. A question for you this morning as we get started, how many of you have ever done something you didn't want to do? How many of you grudgingly have done things you didn't want to do? Either because like mom or dad made you do it, the boss made you do it, your, you know, your, your wife or maybe your husband, made, maybe the wife made you do it, I don't know. But there's times you had to do something like, I really, really don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it only because you told me I have to do it. Now, Jonah may be a story, one of the minor prophets you may be more familiar with than many others, at least a portion of the story. But let's let's recap Jonah's story just to make sure you get the broad picture of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. So first, let's review. What is a prophet? Well, we define a prophet as this. A prophet is a person regarded as an inspired proclaimer who conveys messages from God. A person regarded as an inspired proclaimer who conveys messages from God. Now, sometimes, you know, when we talk about the prophets, we just think about they tell the future of things that are going to happen. And sometimes popular TV preachers will get on there and they'll look at the current events and say, See, that right there? That is the book of... And they'll name off some prophet and say, That's what's going on right now. Problem with that is, that's what some preacher said about something else that happened sometimes 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago. But the prophets did have a foretelling. They often did see things that were going to unfold. Some things in the current moments, and then sometimes things that would unfold centuries later in the birth, the life, and the death of the resurrection of Jesus, and even his second coming. And for them, sometimes, it was all muddled together. But a prophet proclaims the messages of God. What are those messages? Well, it's really kind of a two-fold message that the prophets proclaim. First, the prophets proclaim the law. The law, if you remember maybe from confirmation days, we'd say like SOS, the law shows our sins. The prophets <laughs> called God's people out and called the nations out on their sin, on their, disrebe- and their disrebellion, on their rebellion and their disobedience. The prophets also, again, it's a twofold message, the prophets also proclaimed. The gospel. The gospel, again, in the SOS acronym, the gospel shows our Savior. Now, for the prophets, you know, Jesus had yet to be born. You know, he had yet to walk on the earth. He had yet to suffer and die. Yet, when they proclaimed God's forgiveness, God's love and mercy, they were looking at God's saving events in the past and his promise of a Savior who was to come. So the prophets proclaimed this message of law and gospel to the people. So let's take a look at the life of Jonah real quick. Jonah was a prophet. He was a proclaimer of God's message. And one day, God calls on Jonah to go to Nineveh. Now, you've got you to kind of understand something. You know, God's like, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, all right, God, I'm going, Right? Jonah's like, wait a second, God. Do you know about those Ninevites? They are, they are our enemies. They're mean. They don't play nice. They're evil. They're violent. You want me to go to Nineveh? And Jonah just what? You know, He doesn't pack his bags to go to Nineveh. In fact, he packs his bags and he goes the opposite direction. So he packs his bags. He's going to go opposite direction where God wants him to go. Climbs aboard a ship. And they're sailing along, and if you've ever been sailing before, if you've ever been sailing in a storm. So Jonah's on board with other passengers and cargo, and the storm approaches, and the sailors get kind of worried. So, you know, they start praying to their gods. And what does Jonah do? Jonah, yeah, someone said it, right? Jonah goes down into the boat and decides to take a nap. You know, the boat's rocking back and forth, storm, kind of wind, lightning, waves. The sailors are terrified, and Jonah is just sleeping. Sleeping away, you know, and then the captain of the ship comes down and is like, Dude, wake up! You know, you got to pray to your God. We're praying to our God. You're going to pray to your God. Jonah's like, Yeah, no. I'm sleeping. And so the storm is raging, the sailors are just terrified. So they cast lots. Now, to cast lots is kind of like drawing straws. Have you ever had to draw straws before? Got the short end of the stick? I don't know really how this would work, but you know, they, they cast lots, kind of like throwing these dice. And, and they cast straws, and guess who they determine is the reason for this violent storm that's going to sink the ship? Jonah. Yeah, obviously it's Jonah. And, you know, and they're like, all right, dude, who are you? Where are you from? And why is this happening? And Jonah's like, well, I'm a Hebrew, and um, my God, my God's the God who made the seas and the dry land, and um, well, you know, my God told me to do something, and um, I'm kind of going the opposite direction of where He told me to go. So the storm is, yeah, it's probably my fault. And the sailors are even more terrified, and so what do they do? Oh, not yet. I heard you say you throw them overboard. No, not yet. The first thing they do is they start, okay, you know, we can work this out. You know, we'll keep bailing out the water. We'll throw off all the cargo. We'll get rid of everything we can get rid of. We can save the ship. We can make it back to shore. But it's obvious it's not going to happen. It's obvious the ship is going to sink. And so they're like, okay, this, is, this God caused a storm. And this, this guy, Jonah, is telling us we just throw him overboard. And so, you know, there they get him. You know, have your head been thrown in the pool like that one? Woo! Woo, and splash! Jonah goes down into the ocean, and the storm stops. And of course, I, you know, if you've ever been in the ocean or a large body of water, I you know even if you're a really good swimmer, if you're in little nowhere, and you know Jonah's there in the water, and you know then the next thing happens, this amazing thing happens. So this is probably part of the story that most of us know. What happens? He gets swallowed up by, and some people said, well, really, we don't know what kind of fish it is, by the way. We just know it's some big thing. The translation is like big amphibious thing. Could be a well. There are stories, even modern stories, where sometimes, you know, someone is swallowed by a big well and even has survived for several days. There may be some other big fish that we don't know about that doesn't exist anymore. We just know he is swallowed up by a big old fish. That rather than letting Jonah drown, God shows compassion to Jonah and saves him from drowning. And he's hanging out in the belly of that big old whale or fish or whatever the thing is for three days. I don't know about you. I mean, have you ever been around fish before? Yeah, that kind of a fishy smell. You know, when I cook fish, you know, my wife's like, open up the windows, you know air out the house a little bit, there's a certain smell. And now, remember, Jonah's in the belly of this fish. You, you know, think about what the belly smells like. I mean, I've never really smelled the belly before, but I mean, just thinking like, you know, one of those days when I'm not feeling good and, you know, yeah, you know, there's stuff churning in there and he's there for three days in this dark, probably kind of stinky, wretched place. And what does he do while he's there? I think, first of all, he comes to the realization, hmm, I know this God, I, I mean, I told the sailors he was the God that created the seas and, and the dry land, and he told me to go, and I said, no, God, I ain't doing that, went the other direction, and now I'm here in the belly of this gigantic thingy, thingy, yeah. it's a theological word, thingy, and he prays. He prays, and there's this beautiful prayer that you can read in Jonah. And by the way, if you're like, hey, you know what? I'm going to find something to do today. Read the book of Jonah. It's not that long of a book. That's why, again, they're called the Minor Prophets because they're shorter. And he's this beautiful prayer where he begins to, to kind of wrestle through this is who God is, this is who I am. And God, you know, I save me, God. God, save me. And God shows compassion on Jonah. And he, and you know, what, what, what does the fish do or this whale do? Depending on what translation you have, it spits him up or it vomits him up. I like the, the image of vomiting more because it comes up from the gut. Like, you know, he had something upsetting your stomach and also. And there he is on the shore, covered in stinky stuff. And, 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 and you know, and now God says to him again, Jonah. Go to Nineveh. Tell them that I have seen how they've been behaving. Tell them where they are headed spiritually and and relationally. Tell them to repent. And this time Jonah goes. Now, I don't imagine Jonah's going with a skip at his feet like, all right, I'm going to Nineveh, whoo. I think it's like, all right, God, you know, I get it now. I'll go to Nineveh. Again, kind of like when you've been told to go do something you didn't want to do, you're like, all right, I'll go pick up the dog, do. <laughs> you know, all right, I'll go clean my dishes. Then he's going to Nineveh, not because he wants to, but because God kind of, well, God kind of made it happen. And he goes to Nineveh, Nineveh and he begins to tell them, look, repent. Repent, turn from your ways. Repent. It takes this city, city takes three days for Jonah to travel across this city, and in those three days, as Jonah travels across the city and he's telling these people to repent, what happens? They repent. They even the king repents, and so they do something that was common in those days when they would repent. They fast. And they don't fast because they're going on some diet fad. They fast because when their tummy is grumbling, it's a reminder that they are praying. By the time they would prepare spend eating or preparing meals, you know, they are praying and seeking God's forgiveness. And not only that, they put on these really comfortable fashionable clothes called sackcloth. So you ever like have wool rubbing against your skin? It's kind of something more like that. So they're wearing sackcloth and they are fasting, and the king calls for the whole city to do this. The city of Nineveh repents. And then Jonah gets up there, you know, outside the city, and he's kind of, I think it's like he's just waiting. Come on, God. Where's the fire and brimstone? Where's the fireworks? Rain down on them, God, and just wipe them off the face of the earth because they deserve it. That's the kind of people they are. And of course, as Jonah waits, none of that happens. And then Jonah begins to complain because it's hot. God is hot out here. I can, I can kind of understand that because I grew up in Arizona and the baking sun is really toasty. And so God does what? God shows compassion to Jonah, right? This plant, you know, grows up and makes this nice shade for Jonah, which, you know, which by the way, growing up in, in the desert, I understand this, the shade can be about 10 degrees cooler. So it feels kind of nice. I don't know how hot it was when Jonah was sitting out there, but it was hot, There's this hot, dry wind, and now he's got some shade. He's relaxing and kind of just waiting on God. And, of course, then what happens? God sends this little worm, kind of thing like the hungry caterpillar, you know, and devours this plant. And the plant is now gone. Now Jonah's in the hot sun again. God is so hot. I could die. I can't take it. I just can't take a guy. I don't deserve to live like this. And he begins complaining to God. And God, of course, you know, says these words to Jonah. And let's read these words together. Jonah 4, verse 10. You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. So just think about it for a second. Jonah's complaining about a plant that died. God's going to make a point here. Let's read on, verse the rest of verse 10 and 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? I mean, Jonah was expecting God to destroy these people. That for Jonah, these people weren't worthy of God's love, his compassion. I mean, they were, they were Ninevites, They were the enemies of the Israelites. And yet God is going to show compassion to them. God is going to show love to them. Jonah just completely misses the point. Even though he says, I know you, God. I know you're a God of compassion. I know you'd probably forgive these people. That's why I didn't want to come here. Because they don't deserve it. It's exactly, you know point. We think about Jonah, you know, sometimes people say, well, Jonah's an allegory. It's just a story. I believe it's a true story. Even though there's phenomenal things that happen, there are other phenomenal things in the Bible that happen to some of the prophets. And Jesus, there's even connections to how we see Jesus being sent just as Jonah was sent. But there are some differences. I mean, Jesus does reference being in the belly of the great fish, a well, referring to his tomb, that he'll be in there for three days and he'll rise again. And Jesus does experience a storm when he is sleeping. But, of course, when Jesus experiences storms and the disciples are panicking, Jesus does what? He gets up and says to the storm, enough. But Jesus was also sent to a people who were lost in spiritual darkness, to a people who were doing things their own way. When we capture Jesus, when we we see him, we capture God's heart. For all people. In Matthew 9, we read these words here. Let's read this together. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And we see Jesus, we see God's compassion in the flesh. Jonah, who as a prophet of God, one who has was God's messenger, should have had that same compassion that God had towards him. Jesus comes and shows us what compassion really is all about. For people who are not worthy of God's compassion and love. For all people. For you and me, for every human that has ever breathed, and every human that ever will exist. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And Jonah, who you know, when he looked at these people of Nineveh, I mean, the reason he went the opposite direction, he was fearful that he would lose his own life if he went to Nineveh. And Jesus willingly went. He really, willingly stepped into our world to give his life for us, that we might have life in him. You know, as you think about Jonah, there's a couple of questions that, I, that come to mind as I read this prophet. And I read his story and, uh, you know, I understand who God is. God is a God of compassion and understand how this shows how God is a God of compassion, not just in the New Testament with Jesus, but throughout the scriptures, even in the Old Testament, even to people that would be considered the enemies of God's people. And how Jonah can be so much like us and we can be so much like Jonah in many ways as we see other people and as we see ourselves. And as we see Jesus, God's compassion. So the first question for us to kind of ask ourselves is this question here. Who are those people to you? I think we all have those people. Maybe sometimes more so than others, but you know those people who watch the other news station? You know what I mean. I'm not going to ask which news station you watch, but you watch the other news station than you watch. They voted for the other politician that you voted for. They might like the other team that you don't like. They might think differently, act differently, look differently than you do. There are those people. And for all of us, we have some of those people in our hearts. If we're honest, who are those people to you? For Jonah, it was the Ninevites. They were unworthy of God's compassion. Next question, follow-up question. Who are those people to God? Well, that's a, in some ways a pretty simple answer, a pretty straightforward answer, a scripture that is familiar to many of us, the words of Jesus from John three sixteen. Let's read these words together. God loved the world this way; he gave his only Son that everyone who believes in him will not die but will have eternal life. God loved who? The world. I mean, how does God see, them, the them's in our lives? God loves them, and God loves you. God loves them, and God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son. His one and only son came with compassion and love for all people. His one and only son, Jesus, came with compassion and love and a willingness to die for you and me and the world, that we might have life in him, And through him. You know, at Holy Savior, we talk about, you know, that we're all about growing in Jesus and sharing his love. You know, growing in Jesus, again, is more than just, you know, getting more head knowledge about Jesus. It's good to do that, you know. You know, earlier this morning, we were walking down the hallways and some of us were talking about, like, have you ever read through the whole Bible? And some said yes, some said no. Some, like me, said, yeah, I've tried several times and never quite got through it. And that's a great practice to read through the whole Bible. It's great to use the portals of prayers, it's great to go to Bible studies, learn things. But, you know, growing in Jesus is more than just gaining more head knowledge about Jesus or about the prophet Jonah. Growing in Jesus means we wrestle through some of these questions that help us to struggle with this. Okay, God, if I'm honest, they are the thems in my life. And maybe there are them that's kind of unspecified because they belong to that group. They watch that channel. Maybe there's a them in my life who's very close and personal. Sometimes them in our lives is even ourselves. We don't see ourselves as worthy of God's love. We don't see ourselves as one that God loves. But God loves you. God loves the world that he gave his only son. So growing in Jesus, you know, again, not only gaining knowledge, but wrestling in faith and understanding how God's love shapes us. It shapes our identity and it shapes our relationships with all others, even the thems in our lives. And that's what sharing this love is all about. So I'll give you a challenge as we go into this new month here, especially in this month we often talk about love, Valentine's Day. Take a second look at, Should be, I'm sorry, I missed a word in there. Take a look at the others and yourself, take a look at others and yourself through the lens of God's love in Jesus think about that just for a moment cuz maybe right now what you need to do you need to look at yourself first through the lens of God's love for you for whatever you have done whatever you have failed to do whatever your past has been to know that God loves you and then you think about the thems in your life to know that God loves them as much as he loves you let's pray Lord God, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of your amazing grace and love for us in Jesus. Lord Jesus, you love the world. You loved them so much and you loved us so much that you gave your life for us on the cross. And through your death and resurrection, we are guaranteed of the compassionate love you have for us. Let that compassion, that love, that grace and mercy shape our identity. And our relationships with others. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. For more information about Holy Savior, including service times and location, please visit holysavior.org. Thanks for listening. Until next time.